Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of Renar Voice. I am your host, Robert Swatala, and with me, at least through the first 15 episodes until he decides no more, Jeff Mazzone. <laughs> Jeff, how are you? Bro, I'm not going anywhere. I don't know. Uh, okay. okay. Uh, just checking. Just checking. I, yeah. I didn't know. You know, uh, last uh, episode, we, we got we got it handed to us pretty good. Yeah, that was yeah. a nice slice of humble pie. Sure was. Sure was. It was refreshing, though, I think, on both ends. <laughs> it took me like three days to recover from our time with Dr. Volk. That was yes. that was crushing. Yeah. No, it was it was definitely uh, very grounding for, for me, but it, it also enjoyable. Um, it was definitely uh, he, he presented it in a way of love. Yes. yes. Like a like a like a stern, loving parent. Yes. Yeah. The, the best was when he, he turned to you and he said, does Jeff always quote some random obscure philosopher? And I'm like, wow, is that, is that what I look like to the outside? <laughs> and then of course you're like, no, but he usually quotes Star Wars. I'm like, there yeah. we go. That's more yeah, realistic. Yeah. 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 People can relate to that. <laughs> oh, it's, it's been a, it's been a joy. Uh, you know, we're into episode 15. Uh, we've got a lot of positive feedback, which is also very humbling because I don't think either one of us had ever expected this, you know, to turn into 15 episodes and to experience the things that we've been able to. So I don't know about you, Jeff, but it's been a it's been a humbling journey to to do this. And, and it's fun. I, I, I hope our listeners hear that. Yeah, it is fun. And it, it is humbling, especially just as of today, we're at 1213 views since November, which is surprising. Now, of course, most of those are you. I gotta say, yeah, the numbers. yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, uh, like I, a good researcher. I definitely have inflated them, but that's okay. They don't know, you know. It's just, it's yeah. like stuff in the ballot box. But I all. think, I think we should offer our listeners some type of like gift, you know, like, hey, thanks for listening. So, I don't know, maybe we could talk about something we could offer, like, like a prize. Yeah, like autographed pictures or what? No, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know. Not like a bonus episode or, you know, I don't huh. know. We'll, we'll figure All right. Out. Well, who All would right. that be? Me and you? You. Definitely you. Okay. All right. Oh, well, yeah. our, our our listener count may stop at 1,200 <laughs> at that point. So. <laughs> well, hey, Jeff, I, uh, I always say this, and I was listening to all the episodes, making sure that count got uh, increased. Yeah. But I always say I'm excited about the guests, and you are I truly am. I truly I am every time. It's, um, it's not just me saying it. So mm -hmm. I am excited today. It's going to be a, a really good uh, interview today. And if you wouldn't mind, could you interview our guest, or I'm sorry, introduce our guest today? Yeah. So today we have my 505 intensive uh, professor, uh, which was on campus. That was pre-pandemic. And again, folks, you know, the real reason we're doing this podcast is I just want to hang out with all my former professors because it's tough being an online student. You, you don't get to see everybody, you know, and and, you know, Robert had mentioned during our Dr. Lilly interview that his time with Dr. Lilly in 505 really like set the stage for him. And it was a very similar experience for me uh, with Dr. Myers just when I got there. Jeff, what? Jeff, real quick, you yeah. know, they can't change the grades now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I you I, I passed. You do know. Okay. All right. Just just check it. Gosh. I thought you were interrupting me because I said something like really off. I'm like, wow. No. Nope, nope. Just okay. one. Just wanted to make sure you knew that. I'm talking about Dr. Myers here. Come on, man. <laughs> Go ahead. I won't interrupt. Anyway, you. so it was a really important time, you know, for me to be with him and and to keep conversations going. So then, when we had Dr. Melvin Pride, 
for our courageous conversation night with our chapter. It come to find out that all of that started with Dr. Myers, uh, when Dr. Myers was uh, a chair of the department and, and Dr. Pride was a, a subordinate professor to him and they had these conversations about race. Dr. Myers being a, a white man and, and Dr. Pride being a black man who marched with Martin Luther King. And, and so after that, that event with Dr. Pride, we're like, oh, we got to get Dr. Myers on. Uh, and, and we haven't yet tackled this issue. Uh, we haven't talked about race and race uh, reconciliation and, and just where we are as a culture. So, and, you know, Robert, you and I, we're white guys and, and we need to kind of take the stage and, and set the standard here. So let's go. Uh, so we're really honored to have Dr. Myers here with us. He's a native of Colorado and a veteran of the United States Navy. He served in the fields of education and church ministry in many different capacities over the years and holds a master's in religious education as well as a PhD in professional counseling. His clinical experience includes court-appointed work with adolescents and individual and family counseling at the Acute Inpatient Psychiatric Care Facility of Virginia Baptist Hospital as well as outpatient care at Piedmont Psychiatric Clinic. Dr. Myers has served as an associate dean for the School of Behavioral Sciences, department chair with the Department of Counselor Education and Family Studies graduate programs, both online and residential. And his research interests include race and connection, emotion regulation, religious coping, and mindfulness. So good morning, Dr. Myers. Thanks so much for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So we just want to get right into the questions. Um, can you walk us through the story of the courageous conversations with Dr. Pride that I just mentioned, and specifically, you know, their content, your experience, and and also his. Sure, I can only give you part of his experience, but um, you know, Dr. Pride and I, for a while, we couldn't figure out when did this start, how long have we been doing this, and so I had to look back at my notes in my calendar, and it turns out it was in the fall of two thousand or twenty sixteen, and it occurred to us that. It, he mentions this in the video that he had had kind of sensed this, I don't know, tension, this racial tension going on around us and that he wanted to do something about it. And, I, you know, now looking at my calendar, I realized this is what was happening when um, at the presidential election, at the ramp up of the presidential election. So Trump was about to get elected. And I remember that time. In, in my view, I what I saw was, oh, this is yet another political conversation going on. There's more political tension, all this kind of stuff. What he saw was a ramp up of racial tension. So he approached me. He's um, he came into my office one day and he said, "How would you like to to have some open conversations about race and our own experiences in a public forum?" And, you know, citing that, you know, he and I's relationship was really solid, you know, really, you know, we're um, very curious about each other's experiences and things like that. Um, so he posed this idea to me. And, you know, so I had two, two different reactions, you know, one of them was absolutely, let's do this. And the other one was, oh, wait a minute. If, if we have a, a public conversation about race and experience and all this kind of stuff, what if I get canceled? What if I get, I say something insensitive or, you know, maybe that is, maybe it's 
maybe it's racist and I wasn't even aware of it, right? So maybe what if I get exposed as this, you know, awful person in public? What what will happen? And even um, my boss at the time, he, he was like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, so there was, I mean, there was obviously some, some real caution around it. And, but, you know, it just occurred to me that, you know, this absolutely has to be done. We have to have conversations, um, even if it is a risk um, that, that we need to be open and understand and to listen. And so I agreed to do it. And so in 2000 or 2016, our first conversation was with a group of faculty, like it was at a faculty meeting. So it was, we were in this big circle um, with the department and he and I sat at this little table um, and had this conversation. It was started with 10 questions where I would ask him a question and then he would ask me a question. And, you know, we, we went for, you know, some of the hot button issues, you know, he, he started asking me about white privilege and, um, you know, I would ask him, you know, stuff about, you know, did he grow up telling, you know, white jokes in his family and stuff like that. And then, then it just got deeper and deeper and deeper. And the response was really quite interesting. You know, people, you could tell it was tense. There was like a lot of stuff kind of stirred up people. Some people were crying. Some people were kind of angry and tense because, you know, he has some stories. Now, here's a man who grew up in the South during the Jim Crow era, and he's, he did not live far from where Emmett Till was killed. Um, that young African-American uh, gentleman who was um, accused of, um, I think, like whistling at a white woman or something like that. And then um, some men broke into his house, pulled him out and killed the boy. And... Later, the the woman said it actually didn't happen. So lots of really, really intense you know, racial um, angst, lots, lots of problems going on in America. So he grew up in that. He was, and my story is very different. My story is I grew up in, in um, Western Colorado and um, the first African-American I saw in real life, I, I was probably late middle school, early high school, right? So little, little tiny town called Delta, Colorado. And so our experiences were very different. And um, so, so, you know, we're just having this conversation, asking questions and stuff. And the reaction was really, really interesting. Um, you know, so like I said, it was kind of, you could tell there was some tension there. Um, you know, some people, you know, Dr. Pride mentions a story about him being told to get in the back of the line before he gets on the bus when he was a young man. And, and, you know, there was just lots of different reactions, people saying things like, oh, well, you know, if I was on that bus, I'd give you my seat. And, and then, you know, um, just, just lots of different reactions. And, and he and I both agreed later, I don't think that would have actually happened, you know, because of that context, people reacted the way they thought they should react in that context. So it's easy to look back at that and say, oh, I would never have done that. So, um, so it's, you know, it was, it was, it's a very, you know, eye-opening conversation. We've had, um, we've done this probably five times now, and we've done it in some classes. We've done it multiple times in, um, like, Virginia Counseling Association conferences, and we all get this a very significant reaction. 
um, that, you know, people are, they, they just, they want to hear more. They want to, you know, understand this. Like, um, like it seems to be so novel. Honestly, he and I are still trying to figure out why, why is it that people are so interested in this? Because if you were to look at it on paper, it's like, oh, white man has conversation with black man, news at 11. Like, why is this such a big deal? Um, so it really, you know, struck a chord with a lot of people. At one point, you know, recently we did it on a Virginia Counseling Association um, conference, like at the, at, in 2020. And um, it turns out there was a write-up on the Virginia Counseling Association in their, in their newsletter, did a write-up on us that said it was the most popular section there and that the executive board wanted us to do a training for them, um, which evidently we're going to do. So it's, it's been an inter interesting ride. Dr. Myers, that's, that, that's a, I think the part there that's fascinating is, is that desire for people to want more. And I think it shows the need to have those conversations, the need to actually see that happen. And I think one of the, the neat things with that forum that you guys have is you're asking, you're vulnerable, but you're also listening. And I think that is lacking today. And, and just to try to lead that into the, our next question, you know, 2016 to, to 2020, 2021, uh, there's still obviously racial issues and, and tension and a lot going on right now. Yeah. And, and I guess, how, how did that experience in, in continuing to do that with Dr. Pride, how does that prepare you for these types of events that are going on right now? And um, how are you able to share that experience with others so maybe others can manage and navigate what it looks like, especially for to be a white a white man in in right. this world where there's a lot of unrest. What does that look like, and what have you learned from that experience? Yeah. So, you know, I've been I'm I'm big into mindfulness and you know self awareness and paying attention to what I'm paying attention to and and all of that. And so I, I've been, it's kind of a practice of mine to, to pay attention to what I am experiencing, what I am feeling as things are going on around me. And in this conversation, I am both growing as an individual. I like, I, I enjoy listening. I enjoy, you know, hearing like Dr. Pride's stories and his perspective. And I also enjoy leaning into, um, the challenge of my own perspectives. And sometimes, you know, there, there are moments in our conversations, and we've had many of them. Um, there are moments in our conversations where I realize I actually don't understand something <clears throat> that I don't, I don't um, see this the way he does, and that I can't, it's not even possible for me to really understand what is his perspective? What is his understanding? Um, I can I can see little bits and pieces of it, um, and so we've had lots of conversations where I realize that as he explains something, my perspective grows, and it, particularly in that in that main conversation, uh, there was there's a conversation about white privilege, and in the in the recording on YouTube, the video on YouTube from Virginia Counseling Association. Um, I think there's a good segment of it there, but it's even more elaborate in other talks that we've done, which is I describe my experience growing up 
And my experience was that I grew up in poverty. I grew up in a single parent home raised by my mom, um, four boys and, and, you know, government cheese, food stamps, section eight housing, um, all, all of that. I, I have very clear memories of standing in a grocery store when I'm a kid and we're in line. I'm in, I'm in line with my mom and she's buying food. And she pulls out these coupon books of food stamps and she starts flipping through them. And every time this happens, I get, as Brene Brown would, would say, would describe as this warm wash of shame, right? So I'm standing there and I'm just completely embarrassed. Like, yeah, everyone in this store knows we're poor. And yeah, I have those memories. And then, of course, the, you know, there's the free lunch, the free hot lunch program at school and all this kind of stuff. So I grew up in this scenario where I was regularly reminded of my own poverty, that I'm an outsider to many families. Um, when we would go to, you know, vacation Bible school sometimes, um, and we didn't grow up in church, but we go to vacation Bible school. I think that's what you did when you had four kids in the seventies. And it's like, okay, you need to do something in the summer here, go to this church. So, um, and I remember these moments where the teachers were all assuming everyone had a dad, you know, Oh, go show your dad this. And oh, we're doing this with dads and all this kind of stuff. And I, I just remember feeling like I, I'm, I'm something other than these people. And so, you know, fast forward a bunch that you know i went into the military um used gi bill to go to college used gi bill to actually and i dropped out of high school um so all of that kind of thing and so now what's you know one of the terms being thrown around a lot now is this thing of white privilege and i have an, a, a really odd relationship with the concept of white privilege you know so coming from my perspective what is you know white privilege when i think of privilege I think of rich kids who got everything handed to them. They didn't have to work for anything, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, that, you know, so to me, privilege is more about class than it is race. And so I get a little tweaked when I, you know, when I feel like somebody's pointing a finger at me because I'm white. And um, so we're having this conversation. So he has a different story, right? So he's, he talks about this, this, this moment where he and his family, so his, his parents, I believe, were sharecroppers in the South, and um, they're picking cotton. And as, as a little kid, he's there with his family picking cotton. And there was a poor family, white family, who was picking with them. So they pick alongside them. But, and everything appeared to be, you know, relatively equal. Here's white people, black people, they're poor, they're picking cotton together. But what would change is when they're when their sacks were full and it was time to go get weighed and get paid, then if there were, if the black family was in line and the, the, some, another white person walked up to line, they would walk straight to the front of the line. Right. So there was still this, there is some, you know, class, you know, equality there in poverty, but also there was this other scenario going on with skin color. And, you know, I always, especially when I first heard that story, in some ways, I kind of thought, 
you know, my argument of being poor and not having privilege was sort of like this trump card. And then he throws me this other trump card about about his experience. And that's been our that's been our story, you know, that it's me trying to throw out something and of my perspective and then him throwing his perspective out and then my perspective widening. It has, you know, grown me as far as, you know, being more curious, in a sense, less judgmental, less simplistic about the issue. And so back to your question about 2020. So as as this was starting to play out um, with, you know, the issue with the murder of George Floyd and and all of that playing out, it, you know, a lot of things were going through mind. One of them was, wow, this was severe. I saw I saw the, the video. Most people did. Um, certainly looked like murder to me. And that was, and then this huge backlash, really, really extreme. And I asked Melvin, I was like, was the 60s like this? You know, because I was just a little kid in the 60s. In fact, I was born in 69. So I was an infant in the 60s. And he said that he thinks it is not as bad as the 60s, but in some cases it's worse. Like people are there, they seem to be more angry and less respectful today than there were in the 60s. Um, And he would have been an older teenager at that time. So as I'm watching this play out, I'm noticing things within myself, right? So I'm noticing these sort of prejudgments and these, you know, wanting, wanting to build this narrative in my head and then questioning that narrative. You know, all right. So, what what is that? Was it what is it about this this you know this burning of buildings and the rioting and the, all this kind of stuff? And so, I I the closer I get to in relationship, um, to Doctor Pride, the more I question my own prejudgments and assumptions of others in regards to this very complicated situation. And so, you know, when I think of you know, things that I've learned, I, I think I'm more curious, I'm less judgmental, I think I'm slower to react, a little more aware, I'm more interested in the black story. And so I've been sort of paying attention to, you know, trying to understand this story and, and, and you know, trying to understand, like watching, I love, you know, YouTube, I'm like a YouTube addict, I watch these videos. And I saw this, this episode where Dave Chappelle decided he was going to address this issue. Um, and just to try to hear this experience, um, and it's interesting, you know, one of the things that Dave Chappelle said in his talk was that, you know, this is the streets speaking for themselves. They don't need me to speak for them. They don't need, you know, Hollywood to speak for them. They need, this is them speaking for themselves. Um, so, you know, I'm still, I feel like it's, it's good for me to just sit back and listen, to not be so judgmental, not be you know, jump to my conclusions and just try to be aware. And then, you know, as Dr. Pride would say, you know, we, we can't change the world, we, but we can change our circles. Like we can, you know, connect and have these conversations. And, and he and I have had many. So I, it's, it's helped me try to understand and be curious. Um, and to me, curiosity leads to compassion also. And maybe they're, very inter intertwined. Um, so, yeah. Dr. Myers, do you think that you get to that point without 
that opportunity to have those conversations with Dr. Pride? Do you think that happens naturally or do you remain in those biases without having had that experience with Dr. Pride? Damn, that's a good question. I don't see how I could. I don't see how I, you know, because what we do, and I think, I think research plays this out. You know, we, we tend to, you know, tribal, go into tribal scenarios where we, we, we lean towards these echo chambers where we uh, listen to, we hang out with people like us. We listen to ideas like the ones we would believe. We affirm ourselves with these ideas and, you know, we, we build a bubble that we live in happily. And to connect outside of that bubble, to reach outside and to sit and listen, it changes things. And I know, how could you get, how could you change otherwise? I don't know. I mean, the more time we spend in the bubble, um, the more c- uh, affirmed our own thoughts, our, our assumptions are. And it takes reaching out to alter that. That's been true for me. I think, I think the research proves this out, but, but you know, I just, you want, like we read the Bible and we challenge ourselves and we, we say, you know what, we, you're right. You know, we don't, we, we want to love one another. We want to have compassion for others who are not like us. Um, but I think we have limits unless we can um, connect with someone else that we hear them, we see a face to that story. You know, it's, it's hard, it's, it's hard to have, you know, sit down and go face to face with someone um, who has a completely different um, perspective and uh, even a, a completely different relationship to history um, than you do and, and, and defend everything in your head. It's, it's hard to do that. And so I think you ha- you need to have the conversations. You have to step out. Dr. Myers, that is so helpful. I love the story and, and the perspective uh, and the challenge too. And, and it's comforting, yeah, just to kind of hear you speak uh, as Robert and I try to navigate, like where are we here and, and how do we move forward? And, um, you know, I like that idea about the echo chambers. And I, and I think that's something that, that I can fall into maybe in this piece, but also just other values that, that my family supports um, and sometimes feeling threatened by contrary values that we need to push ourselves into a bubble to protect ourselves. And, and that's difficult. And, and I wonder on this piece, you know, especially looking at students in our program and even in our CSI chapter here in the Northeast, I mean, a majority of students and members are white. And that's part of the reason we're doing this episode. How can we best navigate the polarization, the politicization, the division, and stay rooted in what is true and good here, uh, the challenges that are here? How do do we move forward? Yeah, Um, that's a tough question. When I read that first, you know, when you guys were posing, are these the things we'd like to kind of talk about? I I read that question. I'm like, well, I'm not really the one to, to, you know, tell people what they should do in, in regards to race. But I think that I think there's some things I learned Like there, there's some things that I had to confront about myself. And um, one of the things I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Jonathan Haidt and Jonathan Haidt, he put together an organization called uh, heterodox Academy, which I'm a, a big, I'm a member of. And, 
and you know they they often cite John Stuart Mill and and you know Jeff I don't know are you familiar at all with John Stuart Mill? Yeah. All right. So let me read you this quote here that that's really kind of stunning, and I think this goes along with um, the approach that we used for this conversation from a counselor ed standpoint, which was relational cultural theory. It's also the you know the idea of of you know. Uh, respecting other people and loving one another um, and living at peace with all men. That's Bible right there, right? So let me read you this quote about from John Stuart Mill. He who knows only his own side of the case knows little of that. His reasons may be good, and no one may have been able to refute them. But if he is equally unable to refute the reasons on the opposite side, if he does not so much as know what they are, he has no ground to prefer either opinion, nor is it enough that he should hear the opinions of adversaries from his own teachers, presented as they state them, and accompanied by what they offer as refutations. He must be able to hear them from persons who actually believe them. He must know them in their most plausible and persuasive form. So I, that's what I kind of picture as, you know, a way of, in, in order for us to know this situation and to, and to understand it and to, and to, you know, try to put all of this in context in our minds, we have, we've got to be curious. We have to be able and open to listen to someone else's point of view. And I think, you know, at Liberty, this is especially true. You know, because when you congregate a group of people around a common belief or idea, like Christian school, or some some would say, um, you know, liberty is a, uh, is more uh, conservative than it is Christian. I've heard that, and you know, that's I can see that there's some probably has some evidence of that kind of thing, but I don't think it's totally true. But but when you congregate a group of people around a certain belief or an idea then you create a, a small echo chamber, right? And then you got, you know, people confirming their own beliefs, that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, being curious and reaching out is a huge deal that it just this needs to happen. I think we need to be honest about the context of this situation. I was reading an article, I forget who wrote it, but they had mentioned something I would encourage you to, to take a look at. The Moynihan Report. In 1965, President Johnson, um, I think his Secretary of Labor, put together a report on what, what they termed at the time, I don't like this term at all, but they termed at the at time the Negro family in 1965. I would encourage you, if you really struggle with the con understanding the context of, of you know, the racial tension, Read, read this report, at least a couple of pages, because it talks about they're, they, they're essentially warning the government that um, there's a situation going on where um, even though the Civil Rights Act has been passed, that um, when, when America and even African Americans start to assume that they're going to get equal outcomes, like they're just going to walk right into the middle class, and have everything else everybody else wants, they're suggesting this isn't going to happen. And it's not going to happen for at least a generation is what they're saying. Because of the context, because 
of racism because they don't have the same schools, they don't have the same, you know, opportunities, and and they don't have the same um, finances and all this kind of stuff. And so, they this report I think is just really interesting. It's like wow, you know, they they were seeing this sort of play out, and they were warning the president, the you know the the administration at the time. They were warning them that something needs to be done. That in order for this, this is sort of spiraling out. So they were warning them. It turns out, you know, another article I read on this on the Moynihan report talks about, you know, the, the politicization of that report and how it was sort of um, dismissed. But you can look up that report. It's on. It's even on the Department of Labor's website still. And there's even a uh, State of the Union address from President Johnson, that, and he mentions this. I think we had a great. A great chance then to to sort of right some wrongs in a more in a broader sense, and um, and so maybe it would do for you what it does does for me, which is it it helps me understand this context a little bit more and appreciate it. So I think a you know under respect the context, be honest about it, um, and I and I think a big deal for me in my little evolution of this thing is. Don't say to yourself, this is not my problem. Rather ask, what can I do to help? I, for a long time, so I grew up in the West, and I came over here to the South um, because of the Navy. And um, I remember thinking for the longest time, this is not my issue. I did not do this. I'm not from here. <laughs> you, know, you know, this is not my thing. Um, and that was okay for me. That, that was my rationale at the time. But after a while, I, I started to realize, and I think my own, you know, sort of my own spiritual growth, like it started to challenge me. It's like, wait a minute, you may not have, you know, been responsible for this. However, you are responsible for today and the people around you. You know, you are responsible for what you can do in this moment. and. And so dismissing the, the issue as, you know, not my problem is, is I don't think it's, it's not going to help. And I don't think it's a good, you know, and I don't think it's a mature Christian way to, to see that. So, you know, what can I do to help is my strategy of, you know, reaching or connecting with Dr. Pride and saying, okay, I, I'm in, I'm going to take some responsibility here. Um, no, it's not my fault, but I, I'm here, I'm here now. And this is, this is the time where God has put me in and what can I do? Um, so watching this play out, it's, I still don't fully understand what, what to do or how to position myself. Like I, I see things about people talking about white shame and, and heaping all this guilt onto white people and pointing them and putting fingers at them and all this kind of stuff, that's not going to work, I don't think. Um, I also see, you know, people reacting in, with comments like, you know, oh, they're, they're, just, they're just playing the white savior, right? They don't need white people to come in and, and protect them or, or solve it or rescue them. They don't need rescued. So it's still, it's hard for me still. I do not understand fully what is my position here. What it, um, and so I just try to remain curious. I tried to be open and to listen and um, and to not prejudge the situation or try to to rescue it like I'm some sort of savior or something because I'm not. 
That's that's so helpful because it's comforting. If I could speak on behalf of Robert, it's comforting for us to see that you don't have it figured out yet, and that that's okay. Like that, that this is a process of trying to be present to it. Um, yeah, I, I feel this pressure, like from the different counseling professional associations and all the different trainings and everything else, like that. Mm-hmm. I, that we got to figure this out now, and that you need to have a position. And I'm like, right. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a mistake. I think, and one of the things that. I think it's not really that, I don't know, it's not pointed out, it's not that obvious in the conversation with Dr. Pride and I, is that in in our relationship, I am being allowed to grow. He is not imposing his, his view on me. He's not saying, look, white guy, wake up. This is the real, this is the truth. Do this, don't do that, all this kind of stuff, right? So he's not preaching to me. He's not, you know, he's, he is letting me grow. And I think it's that part where we, we need to appreciate where the people evolve, you know, people, perspectives change slowly. And there are healthy ways of doing that. And there are unhealthy ways of doing that. And it's hard. I, I, I get the part where if I were to just say, excuse me, if I were to say, hey, just give us a minute, right? You know, let us, let us, you know, uh, let us, let us take some time with this. I can see where someone would say, you know what, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of, you know, being patient. I'm tired. I want this change now. And I can see that. I can see why that, why that would be true, that, you know, we're, we're tired of waiting. Um, so I, I do, I feel like being patient and having, ha- leaning into conversations and allowing growth to happen naturally um, instead of the sermons and the preaching and the shame and the, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Dr. Myers, you said something there that I think was was really, really interesting, and I wrote it down. I think it's something that I hope our listeners can take away, something really simple. Remain curious, remain open, and listen. I think that, that just that right there is is such a profound just direction on how to handle this and how to how to use that as a compass to, to navigate through. And I, I sometimes wonder why. Why, why people won't, why people don't want to have these conversations, why they don't want to stretch outside their bubble. And, and I think I know the answer, but I, I hope that remain curious, remain open and listen resonates with our, with our listeners and, and is maybe a path going forward. Yeah. It's hard. It really is. I wasn't going to mention this, but, um, I got to get a Star Wars reference in here. Uh, <laughs> I told you, I told you. So yeah. 15 so, episodes when we, we, so the, there's roll. this line, there's this line in the Jedi code that, um, <laughs> in the, uh, the first lesson of battle is to show understanding. And I brought, I bring that up because of Dr. Myers mentioning Stuart Mill and, and the process of understanding and how the, the purpose of me bringing it up is that, what may look like it needs to be a fight doesn't need to be a fight. And that understanding leads the way to that. Because if you show understanding when the battle lines are being drawn, you might actually find out why the other person is coming at you. And then that for that therefore diffuses the fight. And John Stuart Mill is going to hate my mentioning this, but I think the Holy Spirit <laughs> uh, <laughs> through the gift of understanding, you know, one of the sevenfold gifts that we read about in Isaiah 
that that gives us God's understanding that it, it supernaturalizes us. It gives us a share in the divine nature of being able to understand. And and I just wonder, Doctor Myers, is a quick little question. You know, where is the role of prayer in this? Where where are we asking the Holy Spirit to come in and and, and divinize our our fallen human nature? Yeah, I think you know, in some ways, our conversation. Mine and Dr. Price's conversation has been conceptualized through relational cultural theory because it is a clinical way of discussing this. But the the reality is that he and I are both believers, and um, our our prompting and our desire to be to be godly and to want to be part of the solution, want to be. Um, good servants of our time. Um, I, you know, this entire journey has been, you know, riddled in prayer, riddled in us, uh, us, us asking God, give us wisdom, help us to understand one another, help us to be open, help us to, you know, it's, you know, there's Romans thirteen eight says, own, owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. This thing of loving another person, and even someone who is not like you or didn't come from your background or whatever, um, is powerfully spiritual. It is powerfully godly. And that um, we honestly see this as a pursuit of godliness. It's not even possibly more than um, trying to solve a racial issue or solve a cultural issue um, or even teach. It is, it is at its core a pursuit of godliness in our own lives. And when you start to confront that and you pray um, for opportunities and that your eyes would be open to um, moving in and leaning in to where God is and where God is leading, then you often get confronted by your own weaknesses and your own resistances. Um, and then that, that is a blessing that you get to see that. Um, so, I mean, to me, it is, it, this is a pursuit of fulfilling the law of God. It is a pursuit of love. What a great way to wrap up. Uh, thank you, Dr. Myers, for that. And also just thank you for your service to our country. Thank you for your service to, to, to Liberty and, and, and our academic pursuits. And thank you for being vulnerable to rise to that request and that challenge of Dr. Pride to have those conversations and really to lead the way for us on how to handle and navigate through this, this difficult topic. And I think you really laid out a lot of great, points that we can we can take and and hopefully create that love and that unity that we're called to be so thank you dr myers i greatly appreciate your time with us very welcome enjoyed it so we will listeners have um links to the various uh, references in this episode um the monahan report the youtube with dr myers 
and Dr. Pride, as well as the John Stewart Mill reference. We'll go ahead and put those in the, the link in the description, Jeff. I know you have all that information, so you can you can populate that. So if our listeners want to uh, explore that a little bit more, they can. It'll be right there in the description. Um, Jeff, can you just mention maybe what we have coming up in the next couple episodes real quick? Okay, so we usually mention Dr. Kirk in every single episode because she's the founder of this whole initiative. And we are finally having her on uh, early May. That's going to be epic just because it's her. Uh, but also the nature of the topic, how do we navigate the moral issues that come up in counseling? The moral issues that clients are struggling with that may run right up against our values. How do we be present to that, especially with a, a Christian worldview? Uh, talking about some of the hot topics. Uh, so we're really excited about that. And then we're actually going to be getting into some more specifics. Uh, we're going to be talking trauma uh, with your site supervisor. And we're going to be talking about biofeedback, which is something that is uh, growing in popularity. And, and we're not really learning too much about that through the program. So yeah, we're pumped just to get into some of the nitty gritty, the specifics. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I use that word, but I'm excited for these <laughs> guests as well. So I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us, Dr. Myers. Thank you again. And I'm just going to close with it again. Remain curious, remain open, and listen. God bless everyone. Thank you. <laughs>